Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here for another epic debate. Thanks so much for your patience, folks. We're getting out a couple of the technical details, but we are excited for this debate and want to let you know if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a nonpartisan channel striving to host debates where everyone has their fair shot to make their case on an equal playing ground. So no matter what walk of life you are from, folks, we really do hope you feel welcome. And if you are into debates such as these, we'd say, hey, consider hitting that subscribe button as we have many more debates to come, as you'll see, for example, at the bottom right of your screen. We're going to jump right into this one. So want to let you know about tonight's debate. It's going to be fairly flexible formats with roughly 10 to 12 minutes, and the speakers may take less than that. And then we'll go into open conversation and then Q&A. So if you have a question, feel free to fire it into the live chat. I'll be keeping an eye for that and be putting them in a list. So with that, very excited to have you guys here. And I just want to be sure that I remember right. Who, who, did we decide on who was going first? I don't think we talked about it. <laughs> Usually the affirmative. Usually the. Uh, I'll I'll pass to Ben because I I thought about it quite a bit this morning. I couldn't figure out how he could possibly win this debate. So <laughs> I I'm absolutely dying to find out what his position. You know how he's going to do. Sure, this. sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look. If one person's saying water is wet and one person is saying it's dry, the guy who says it's wet should probably go first, and then you know. <laughs> the, uh... Touche, touche. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, that's fine with me. The floor is all yours then, Ben. Thanks so much for being here. All right. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you, Chris, uh, for doing this. So uh, when it comes to whether racism is still a significant problem in the U.S., I think it is, uh, I think the first thing that we should do is talk about what we mean when we talk about racism, right? What is it that we're, we're wondering, is it a significant problem in the United States or not? Uh, and I think that when people talk about racism, they really mean three things. Uh, one is just individuals having and acting on the basis of racial bias. Uh, and then the other two fall into what's sometimes called structural racism. And people have spent a lot of time doing semantic debates about uh, whether that even makes sense, whether we should just use the word racism, you know, for uh, for racial bias, uh, whether racism always means structural racism. I'm not really that interested in that. I, I, I am interested in talking about what these things are and why I think they're problems. So one thing that can sometimes be thought of as structural racism is individuals who are making decisions within structures being motivated uh, by, uh, by racial bias, consciously or unconsciously. Another thing that can mean is just any kind of uh, unjust and unreasonable uh, disparity in outcomes that has to do with race. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily have to involve any kind of bias at all, necessarily, once uh, once a system is going in people who are perpetuating it. So let's take these three things one at a time. So uh, the first is just individuals being racially biased and acting on that racial bias in any way 
uh, going from, um, you know, from racial slurs to racial hate crimes. And is this still a problem? Well, certainly in terms of hate crimes, uh, the Department of Justice says that a few thousand uh, hate crimes where the motivation is uh, race, ancestry, you know, ethnicity, et cetera, like a few thousand of those happen a year. Maybe you think that's a significant problem. Maybe you don't. Uh, I'm not, uh, I really don't know what the cutoff is for saying that that's a significant problem, but it certainly happens. Uh, but then moving into more significant problems, uh, going back to uh, Stokey Carmichael's uh, insight when he said that uh, if a black man, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Uh, you can start talking about racial bias by people who do have decision-making capacity and are going to be influenced by that bias within power structures. Uh, so uh, a pretty obvious example, one that's on, on, going to be on people's minds very much right now, uh, especially because of uh, what just happened the, uh, the news that was just reported today uh, from uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, uh, you know, about uh, you know, yet another high-profile incident of a black man being shot uh, by, uh, by the police is racial bias by police officers. I think there's quite a bit of evidence for this. Um, I don't think it's the only explanation for racial disparities in uh, arrests and every other aspect of the criminal justice system, which we could spend the entire 10 minutes or much longer talking about. Uh, but it's certainly a factor in it. How do we know it's a factor? Well, we can look at things like the study uh, that came out in May of uh, data from 100 million traffic stops uh, around the country uh, that showed that uh, black drivers are far more likely uh, to be pulled over by white drivers than white drivers are. Uh, and of course, you could say, oh, well, maybe there's some reason that black drivers are more likely to uh, spend a lot of time on the road than white drivers, for example. So there could be some innocent explanation for this. But what really undercuts that is that uh, the study also found uh, that this discrepancy in how often black drivers versus white drivers statistically are pulled over by the police actually goes down after sunset uh, when what's called, you know, what uh, the researchers call the veil of darkness goes down. In other words, it's darker, so it's harder for traffic cops uh, to see the skin color of the driver, which strongly suggests that uh, conscious or unconscious racial bias is a factor there. Uh, similarly, uh, black and Hispanic drivers uh, are far more likely to have their car searched, even though cops are actually less likely to find contraband in those searches. Uh, now you can say that's that's traffic stops uh, being you know getting being stopped is 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 very annoying. It's a hassle. Uh, it could certainly uh, have really bad effects on you if you think that you're being singled out or targeted. Uh, but you know we've all been now we've all been stopped in traffic stops. You might not think it's that big a deal, but then if you start to look uh, at the uh, the statistics about the death penalty, uh, even controlling for a lot of other factors. Uh, at, at every stage, uh, black people are more likely than white people to be assigned the death penalty. Uh, in particular, uh, if a black person kills a black person, they're not necessarily more likely than a white person who kills a white person uh, to be given the death penalty. But a black person who kills a white person is far more than any other combination likely to be given, uh, to be given the death penalty. That's pretty serious. Uh, another, but then so far, we've only talked about the effects of racial bias. Now, 
Uh, that's very serious. That's a problem. If you believe in full civic and legal equality, uh, we shouldn't tolerate uh, having uh, having people in positions of power, such as police officers, uh, act on the basis of uh, of racial bias. Um, we could also, by the way, before we uh, before we let that go, uh, we could talk about people in positions of economic power acting on the basis of racial bias. Uh, a really nice piece of evidence for that uh, that uh, that came out uh, in 2017 is a meta-analysis of a bunch of studies over the course of decades of uh, racial discrimination in hiring, uh, where you would do things like uh, send out uh, fake resumes uh, that uh, that have names that will make people think that the uh, that the job applicant is African American, uh, <clears throat> and names that will not uh, make people think that, or uh, make people think that the job applicant is Hispanic, and then see how many times you get callbacks. Uh, and starting in 1989. Uh, Looks like white people get callbacks, or you know, the fake applicants in uh, in these cases. Uh, people, those who people are going to think are white, are 36 more like time, 36 percent more likely uh, to get callbacks from their uh, the resume uh, than uh, than black applicants, and 24 percent more likely than Hispanic applicants. Again, that's a problem. Uh, it's also a problem, and this brings us to our third category, uh, if the people who are going to be in those positions of power in the first place are more likely uh, to be white than they are to be Hispanic or especially to be black. Uh, and this gets, uh, and this is the most important, I think, part of the equation, uh, because I think you can point for some disparities, not all of them, in fact, a lot of them, you can't really do this. That traffic stop case is a very clear example where you can do this, can't do this. But for a lot of disparities, you can say, okay, there are other, uh, there are things that we can look at uh, that, that make this more likely. Uh, of course, you know, black people, for example, are more likely to be shot by the police than white people, even when you control for the difference in crime rates. Uh, black people are more likely to be incarcerated than white people, even if you control for the difference in crime rates. But the difference in crime rates itself uh, is a symptom of a larger problem, a deeper injustice, uh, because a lot of these distinctions, uh, the ones that can't be traced to racial bias, uh, the largest part of the distinction is an economic distinction. Uh, where the numbers are pretty striking, uh, that the distribution of poverty between white people and black people in the United States is wildly uneven. And, of course, you can tell all sorts of stories to explain this. You can say it has something to do with culture. You can say that it's just about individual bad decisions. Uh, but the problem with that is that over the course of a very long time and all sorts of cultural changes, uh, you keep on having these great disparities uh, in the distribution of poverty between white people and black people, uh, in fact, going all the way back to emancipation. Uh, so maybe it's just that lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots more black people than white people just happen to make bad economic decisions. Uh, but by far the simplest, cleanest, most plausible, most likely explanation is that this has something to do with the long-term effect of slavery, of Jim Crow, of Federal Housing Administration, redlining, you know, which, which was de jure housing discrimination uh, that, was, that was happening not very many decades ago. 
uh, all of which adds up to meaning that not everybody is starting on the same playing field and you're going to get intergenerational patterns of, of wealth distribution that are going to systematically perpetuate these racial disparities. Uh, now, we can talk about what to do with it, do about it. There are lots of legitimate disagreements that people can have about that. Uh, do we want reparations? Do we want universal social programs that would disproportionately benefit those who have uh, really gotten the short end of the stick from the system? But denying that the end of the stick they've gotten has been short really seems to me to be out of touch with the verifiable realities of the situation. You got it. Thank you very much, Ben. We will kick it over to Mr. Reagan. Want to let you know both of our guests are linked in the description, folks. So if you'd like to hear more from either of our guests, those links are waiting for you. And we're going to kick it over to Mr. Reagan for his opening right now. The floor is all yours. Thank you. And thank you, Ben. That was beautiful. Now I will destroy it. No, I, I, will, uh, I will begin my, with my sort of opening points, which are essentially that, okay, I, I like that you started with defining racism and you didn't seem to try, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't seem to try to invoke this idea of prejudice plus power as the sort of like exclusive definition of, of racism. I, I suppose you, you reject that. Can you hear me, Ben? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize we were, uh, you know, they. I thought that was rhetorical, but uh, yeah, I don't think that's I don't think that's the only way we can define racism. Sure, I think okay. That that's, I think that that's part of the problem. I don't think it's the entire problem. I just want to make sure we're on the same page, right? Sure. Okay. So, right. So let, let's just basically most people, I think, I, I could read the dictionary definition here. I'd rather just talk about it. The definition that most people appreciate, I think, is like a hatred of a race or a feeling of superiority or inferior inferiority of a race, and. For the most part, in my experience, from everyone that I've met, white person that I've met in America, racism doesn't really exist amongst white people in white culture on a personal level. You just, you probably remember being in school and it being sort of shoved down your throat that racism is evil, racism is bad, you shouldn't be racist. Your parents probably uh, taught you this, mine certainly did, uh, in Oregon. You know, I can tell you for a fact, I never met a person who was overtly racist when I was growing up, ever in my life, even to te even until today. You see people on television who will talk about this stuff, but for the most part, no white people will acknowledge that they are racist. And you might say, well, that is because uh, there is a cost to admitting you're racist, right? You could lose your job. Uh, there is a social shame to it. But all of that indicates how utterly reprehensible we find racism as a culture, white people in America. And if you travel outside America, you'll see that pretty much every other culture in the world, uh, except for like Northern Euro Europeans, uh, Britain, Australia, other sort of English speaking white countries, most cultures have embedded within it racism as part of the culture. It's not just acceptable in the culture, it's embedded as part of the culture. Uh, and so it's obvious that this is something that is, I, I, I would say, maybe not, yeah, probably a natural part of human existence, that there's some sort of uh, feelings of superior, superiority or inferiority with regard to other cultures, other races. And we have done a great job in America of trying to condition ourselves against that. We hold ourselves to such a high standard, though, that we can point out any little instance of racism 
and say, look, we've fallen short of perfection. And I agree with that. I think we should strive for perfection. But there is uh, a difficulty in doing that if, like, no other cultures are joining us, right? It, the, the abolishment of any kind of racism whatsoever is easiest within any one culture if all the other cultures are participating, right? Now, what we're really worried about here, and, and you addressed this when, <clears throat> you know, when you began, is economic disparity, right? That's, that's like the main thing that most people talk about when they're talking about uh, the problems of racism in America, the problems with uh, black community, black Americans. And I would say this is, this is not caused, at least not today, by racism of white Americans against black Americans. Uh, I don't think that we're in a situation right now where a black person could, you know, apply for a job and have the same qualifications as a white person, have the same uh, fashion sense, right? Uh, be as attractive in every way as the white person that's applying and still not get the job exclusively based on the color of his skin, exclusively based on his race. I just don't see that happening. I've never heard of it happening in, you know, since probably like the 80s. I'm sure that there are certain rare instances, but we're not talking about rare instances. We're talking about, you know, a significant problem. What I, what I would propose is not, you sort of suggested that the reason maybe uh, that, that black people might not have become as successful as other groups in America today is that a whole bunch of them just aren't that good at managing their finances. Uh, I, I don't suppose that. I suppose that's true of lots of different people, right? Um, but what I do think is that they do have a significant cultural problem, which you did mention that you sort of dismissed. This is not something that can be dismissed because what you find within black culture is that there is a significant embedded racism against white people. And I will propose here that this is the single limiting factor in the economic growth of black Americans. You have a, an entire community of people who have embedded within their culture this idea that this other group, white Americans, should be resented, should be hated, and should be mis dis you know, we should distrust them. There is this idea uh, among some black people, and uh, you know, I've been told this on a personal level, I've read about it, where if you're a young black person going to a black school, mostly black school, right, you'll get ridiculed for studying because studying is being too white, right? If you try to speak well, you will be ridiculed for speaking in a way that sounds too white, like, like Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or something like that. Uh, you can't, you know, you have to dress in a certain way. There's, there's a certain way to dress if you're black in, in some parts of the country. Uh, the, the, if you try to in, discourage your children or discourage your friends from acting or uh, uh, speaking in a way that seems to be culturally like another group, it's going to be difficult, I think, for that person to integrate with, with that group effectively, right? So if you want to get a job at a law firm, but you refuse to speak like a white person, you, you refuse to become educated to study, uh, and you, re you refuse to wear a suit and tie because that's too white, uh, I think it's going to be difficult for you to get that job. Uh, now, yeah, so, let me see here. 
I wanted to, I also wanted to comment on a couple of points that you made real quickly about the traffic stop study and the job application study. Uh, the idea of racial profiling, that is a, that is a thing. I, I think that to me that's debatable as to whether that's actually a product of racism. Pretty much every instance you gave, pretty much every example you gave of racism, one must assume racism first and then apply it to what's happened. And, and you kind of acknowledge that. You said, this is the simplest, best explanation. No? I, I'm, I don't want to interrupt you. Let's finish up and then, uh, then, uh, then we'll talk about it. But no, All right. for the record, no. No, okay. Go no, on. I'll, let you, I'll let you say no. I like hearing, hearing that in there. But I don't think that it is the simplest and best explanation, right? I don't, and the reason is because if you look at some of these studies, you find that black officers will stop black citizens in, in, at the same rate as white officers, or more actually, right? Especially with shootings. You find this with shootings. Um, with police shootings, you find that black officers tend to more often shoot a black officer than a white white officer will shoot a black or shoot a black citizen. And so we 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 have this idea that like cops are white, and the people who are stopped are black, and the cops are doing this because they're racist. There are some biases that cops have, but this may not be some kind of hatred against a race or some kind of feeling of inferiority or superiority. Uh, it may simply be the experience of the cop in the field. Uh, and it could be the way somebody is dressed. It could be the way somebody walks. It could be the way somebody talks. And it could be how aggressive they are. There's a, a, there's a gazillion factors uh, when a cop is in the field dealing with uh, citizens that they, have to, that they have to consider. And I just don't think race comes into it. I think that that is always assumed by the people who want to present racism as a systemic problem. But I don't think that it's ever really shown, right? It's very rarely shown through the data. It's only ever assumed and presented as if it's true. Um, in the case of black culture, we find that there is a, a tendency uh, with some black people to dress in an aggressive way, right? You get this with some white people as well. Uh, but there's like a gangbanger culture in black culture. There's also sort of like an MMA culture in white culture where, you know, you want to look tough. Some guys want to look tough, right? And those guys are going to look more aggressive. Those guys are going to look more intimidating. I think this tends to be more true, uh, in, you know, in black communities than it is true in white communities. So that's another factor that, to, to consider. It, I actually think that we do have some kind of a, an issue with the perceptions of culture. But I also think since the crime rate you know, amongst black men is so high, especially the murder rate, you do find that there are, there are actual real problems in the black community that police have to address. Police can be in dangerous situations. They can rationally assume or, or suspect somebody might be violent and act more aggressively with that person. I don't think any of these things imply any kind of racism, although it is almost always assumed that, uh, that it is because of racism. But I don't believe that any of the police violence is because of racism. I don't think the economic disparities are currently because of racism, although historic racism probably has some influence, although we can dive into that because I think it's mostly been nullified. And I think that the primary problem that black people have with going to prison, with the economic disparities that they face is primarily due to black racism against white people.
Gotcha. We will now move into the open discussion portion. So thanks so much, gentlemen, for those openings. And the floor is all yours, guys. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, look, uh, let me just uh, – I just wanted to address a couple of points that were made there really quickly uh, and, and then throw it back to uh, Mr. R. So um, – so, so one thing, uh, one thing I want to point out uh, is that uh, there's the big gap uh, between saying that there's cultural messaging that something is bad, right? You know, you heard so many times, you know, growing up that racism is bad and the conclusion that racism can't be a significant problem, right? I, I think rape and murder are significant problems, uh, but we certainly have relentless cultural messaging uh, that those things are bad. And I'd also point out about the, um, you know, the relative lack of, uh, of overt, uh, overt racism. Of course, there are lots of exceptions to that we can talk about, but even when that is the case, right? Um, I think that there's the bar for what counts as racism, even in the most straightforward racial prejudice definition is being set pretty high there, right? So like, in other words, uh, either somebody is going around explicitly uh, expressing hatred of another uh, racial group or they don't have any sort of prejudice or animus. I don't think that's the case. I think that like when we look, for example- No, but it's indicative. Uh, it's indicative, but it's not dispositive. So I think if we uh, if we start looking at things uh, like that job applicant study, where by the way, we're not starting from, uh, from assuming racism. Uh, this is not something that can be explained by people not wanting to uh, to speak, uh, you know, with um, you know, with with a an accent that doesn't sound African American. This, this is this is not uh, this is not about uh, people not being unwilling to uh, to wear uh, suits. Which and study ties. are you referring to? Uh, I'm, I'm looking. Uh, it's called um, the the article is called meta analysis of field experiments shows no change in racial discrimination hiring over time. Uh, this. Oh, you're is, talking about the names, right? The names one. Uh, or like this, somebody's name, uh, like Quillen, 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 Right. This is a meta-analysis of, of, of a ton of studies. Uh, and what it shows is that once you process together all the studies that have been done on this, uh, that the rate of callbacks, remember, we're not right. talking about anything that can be influenced by how You're people talk. talking about names, right? Names. How people dress. It's just purely what their name is. Right. Uh, and, if he, and if they have a name that's designed to uh, be race neutral or you know, look white, uh, the callback rate is 36 higher. It's 36 percent higher right. than uh, than people uh, who uh, have names that would indicate that they're African American. So I don't think that's starting from the assumption. It that we're is. Talking it about absolutely racism. is. It absolutely I th is. I, th I think. I think that's. I think that absolutely is. That's I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Isolating one factor. Same thing, by the way, with the traffic stop study. Right. That's not about how people walk or how they talk because no. they're not walking or talking when they're being pulled over, right? They're, uh, right, right. They're, they're, they're driving. And again, you could say, oh, but this could be because they're driving in, uh, in a more erratic way or they're just driving more. But again, the study controls for that because it specifically <laughs> looks yeah, at- Yeah, the study does not control for people's perceptions of wealth. Okay. Of class, but, of class. It, it, but uh, the, the question is, 
if you yeah. think that there's a better explanation here than racial bias, why yeah. is the disparity actually increases after sundown? Okay, well, let's, you're talking about two different things, so, two different studies. So let's go with the well, names. I'm, I'm, I'm not actually. Oh, sorry. You mean the job applications? Yeah, that, there's that, two different studies. Sure. So let's talk about the names first. So the names thing can be easily explained by class perceptions. Okay. So if you live in a region in which there are, you know, poor black people tend to have certain names and middle class or wealthier black people tend to have other kinds of names. You know, Will Smith doesn't have a black name, right? LaQuisha Johnson has a black name, right? But did the study put LaQuisha Johnson and like Billy Bob Hicks as the, as the white name? I doubt it, right? And that's, the, that's a huge problem, right? I wanna see a study, I wanna see a study where they put Billy Bob Hicks and then they put in the next application Will Smith, right? And they say, well, this, because it's ridiculous. It's like, yes, Definitely people who have, you know, these sort of stronger, you know, cultural names, right, tend to be lower income people, whether it's white or black or whatever. So the people that are getting these applications, they may well be a racist, you're right. But again, it's an assumption. It could be that they're a classist, because you know what? Most people are a bit classist. So, so, two, point, so, yeah. so two points about that. One. Uh, is that uh, is that Will Smith is a racially neutral name? I don't know that there's a category exactly. of uh, there, that, there, that there's a category of clearly identified uh, black names that are more associated with middle class black people. Than <laughs> exactly. Black that's, people. Why the, that's why the study. But, they have, Just but, the but, that, but that also means that the that the study that you're asking for is impossible by definition, right? That they have exactly. That, uh, so. So the question, so in terms of the study that actually exists, the mm -hmm. one point that I make here is that your alternative explanation of it uh, actually undermines your claim that uh, that historic oppression isn't uh, that isn't a major factor in current economic disparities. Because if you have some people more likely to start out at the bottom, and they're less likely to get job callbacks because of names that are associated with being at the bottom of the economic ladder, and they're associated with being at the bottom of the economic ladder because they're associated with blackness, uh, then I think that what we've got is the distinction between that uh, and saying that uh, that the historic effect of racism uh, is, uh, is driving this is a distinction without a difference, because either way, uh, you, what you have is the history of de jure explicit legal apartheid leading to economic disparities and those economic disparities being self-perpetuated. All right, well, you're arguing two different things and saying they're the same thing, which they're absolutely, well, I'm, you're absolutely. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I argue, I, the first thing I did in the opening presentation, right, was say, hey, here are three things. Sure. Racism right, but you said it's a distinction without a difference, but it absolutely is a difference. One sec, just to. Yep. What were you saying, Ben? Oh, uh, I said that the first thing I said at the uh, at the beginning of my presentation is there are three different things you can you might mean by racism when you talk about racism being problem. Uh, they feed into each other, and all three of them are problems. All right. Well, if you want to get into the historical, oh, sorry, sorry, James, are, are we having a problem? Can you not hear me? I can hear you. Okay. okay great. I'm sorry, Chris. Go for it. If we want, if we want to get into the historical issues, that's that's fine. Uh, but
But you are conflating them a little bit. You're saying that if one isn't true, it doesn't matter because the other is true. But we need to attempt to tackle these one at a time. We can't simply say, well, it doesn't really matter if what you're saying is true or not, because this other thing is here to sort of catch me as a safety net. I don't think that uh, works. No. I think no, I mean, the, the, the point is very specifically, very narrowly in context that your alternate explanation, right? You're saying, oh, no, those historical... Right, and we can go into that. I, I, lo I love that you're saying that, but, but it doesn't nullify my point. It doesn't nullify my explanation of the reasoning why people might not choose a particular name. It, so, again, I think that the... Uh, I think that so there, there are two points here. One is that, is that your alternate explanation of why they wouldn't give a call back to an otherwise identical resume that has that name assumes that there is a bias on the basis of strong identification with racial with a racial group. Now, you're saying that the nature of that bias on the basis of strong identification with racial group is, uh, but, oh, bias, right. I assume that this person grew up poor because they have this name. Right. Now, from their resume, right, I know they went to such and such school, they have such and such qualifications, right. but I might just have a, a sort of raw bias against <laughs> anybody who grew up poor, and I'm going to assume on the basis of having a stereotypically black name that they're likely to have grown up poor. And my point about that is that if that's true, right, if that's yep. what's going on here, yep. that seems to undermine your belief that it is cultural attitudes by black people uh, rather than the historic effects uh, of racial oppression, that are there, that is the primary reason why uh, they, uh, why there are these continuing economic disparities today. Okay, okay. Well, you, you misunderstand a little bit my point. Okay, so I, yeah. I was not, I was not contradicting uh, the historical oppression of black people with the idea that black people are racist and that's why they are unable to succeed today. Uh, I am giving the concept of. I'm presenting the concept of black racism against white people as the reason why they are limited in their uh, potential to succeed today uh, in, this, in the society in which we live currently. But, but, right? but if what you it just said is true. That in particular, hold on, that, that, that argument in particular does not tackle the historical inequity. And historical inequity exists. Okay, that, that happened, right? But I don't actually think that th that, that problem should persist in amongst black people in such high numbers as it does, right? We shouldn't have the economic disparity that we have uh, because of that oppression, because, specifically because, and this is going to be my counter for that, is that there has been a concerted effort, a growing concerted effort for the past 100 years, right, to try to repair the damage that was done. So, uh, so, so, so the last 100 years, that'd be going back to 1920? So yeah, 44 I, years before the Civil Rights Act was passed, would we have right. when, yes. like in the 1920s, when even in Chicago yeah. it was very common to have signs, you know, in big cities in the north saying, you know, absolutely, uh, no even black before, people on the speech. I would say going back to, I, I don't know if I have a date here. I wrote a bunch of facts out. I can't really. So, so, really so in an era when legal segregation was common, even in the north, we were already doing this concerted effort. Yeah, to yeah. Undo this. I would, I would go back to 1688. 1688, right? 1688 was the first known congregation of people that protested slavery, right? So from that point on, we have a written record, and I think definitely before that, but we have a written record of people who are making making a concerted effort to help the black population in the United States, right? Now, your the assumption has always been on the you know with with people who are like, oh, racism is a big problem in the U.S. 
that white people were basically against black people up until like the 1960s, maybe till 1970, like the Fair Housing Act, something like that. But the reality is there was always a fight. Yes, there, there, was, always always a, there, was, there, there was, was always a fight. There was always a fight. You're pressing black people, but there were also you're always people. Very different things. Okay, give it to me. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so you're equating saying that that all white people are against black people across the board, and 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 whatever's worse that's happening. No, I'm saying that's a perception. They're, they're, I'm they're, saying that's a perception. Fight. But that, but that's not. Certainly, that's not the claim that you need to make a, to make sense of anything that I'm saying. And I don't think that's the okay, claim that's that you usually get. I think, the, I think the claim that you usually get is that uh, is that power structures that were in that were in place were explicitly uh, just right out in the open, uh, you know, mistreating uh, black people uh, without any pretense whatsoever. Uh, until at the very least the mid 1960s when we finally ended official legal segregation. Right, sure, sure. But there was always some uh, attempt to better the lines as well. There's always a counterpoint, right? So there was sure, always- sure. There was... Throughout, throughout apartheid in South Africa, there were white people who supported the ANC. Right. That doesn't mean that, uh, that there wasn't severe oppression of wild black people in South Africa, there were there were there were Gentiles in Nazi Germany uh, who who assert, you know who opposed Hitler, who helped uh, hide out Jewish people. So this uh, the, is totally the, this is a totally point, inappropriate the, analysis. The point is not that all three of these things were exactly as bad as each other. The point right. is that you can't go from there is some subset uh, of p of white people, Gentiles, whatever, who oppose what's going on to there isn't severe and systemic and explicit oppression of the other group. All right, I, and I will accept that you're, you know, what you're saying as tr true, but I, I would also like to point out that that was a severe, severely inappropriate analogy because you are, I think, disingenuously mischaracterizing the push against, uh, you know, slavery and then racial segregation how, and how, then how, how am i mischaracterizing it i'm saying it existed it's great but the, the mere fact that there is some part of the white population that is on the right side maybe even heroically on the right side like with the sure. underground railroad it, it, uh, it's is significant not, numbers is, not, is, not, is, not just not, sure. not just not just some kind of like uh, insignificant group just to be people. sure we we hear, pardon my interruption just to be sure we hear the rest from ben oh yeah, I, no, sure i was just going to say that I think that there's there's a distinction between saying that there is a power structure in place that is severely oppressing some group of people in yeah. some way that has devastating consequences, and everybody who is on uh, the end of the you know the part of the population that maybe benefits from it or at least isn't being targeted by it right supports it right that now you're right that that second thing wouldn't be true the point of the historic, the analogies to other historical situations is that it's very rare that that's true, right? Like it is generally true when there is some sort of group oppression that you are going to get some subset, uh, you know, large or small uh, of of the population, including <clears throat> the population that's not being oppressed in this way, that is that 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 is against it. But the exist the existence of that. The existence of one doesn't negate the other, and if you and if you're looking at if you're looking at the historical oppression as the cause of the current disparities, I would posit that like 
how many people were opposed to slavery is not relevant to whether slavery is a cause of what happened afterward, for example. Absolutely right. But, but you've got to take that line of support for black Americans through to the current day. You can't just stop it at abolitionists, right? You've got to say how many institutions were developed over time to support black communities in America? How much, how many millions and millions and billions of dollars have been donated to black charities by white people since, like, let, let's just start at the 1960s, right? Uh, but it goes on, it goes probably before that. But, but let's say it starts in the 1960s. How much assistance has white America shoveled into black communities to try to lift up black people? Well, what do you think it is? Because I think it's pretty unbelievable. I think it's a Herculean effort. Uh, what I think is that charity is a lousy strategy for ending poverty of any kind by any subgroup of the population. So sure, I'm sure there's been lots. Just like in general, you could probably say going back to you know, the Industrial Revolution, right? You know, that there's tons and tons uh, of, of charity uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's directed at, at, at poor white people. But I think we've learned historically that's an extremely bad <sighs> strategy, right? Individual charity does not add up to a solution to a structural economic problem, whether we're talking about a structural economic problem with white people or black people or anybody else. Now, we can look at things that actually have helped quite a bit, right? Yeah, I, I'm going to shock you and say no, uh, but uh, but uh, but I think, but but on the subject of Donald Trump and his current attempt to uh, destroy or privatize the post office, uh, which is which is an openly stated policy goal, I think the uh, the U.S. Postal Service has been a wonderful engine of uh, upward mobility for many Black people by providing good, solid union jobs. I think that the I think that the development of the CIO and industrial unions in the 1930s, you know, helped a lot with that. I think that uh, I think that there are a lot. I think I think government social programs which benefit all working class people, but disproportionately benefit black and brown people because they're more likely to start out in the working class help a lot. So there are things that help. But sure, if 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 your point is that lots and lots of money has been donated to charity uh, since uh, since the 1960s, and that the uh, and that that hasn't made the poverty go away, I don't think we should conclude from that that therefore we should look at some sort of non-structural factors. We should look at whether uh, black people are less likely than white people to want to wear suits and ties. Uh, I think it just shows that uh, charity is a lousy anti-poverty strategy. Well, you may be right, but it's not just charity. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that are specifically designed to get black people in positions of power, get them working in certain kinds of uh, fields and things like that. There's, there's, there's a lot of societies that are designed specifically. I mean, I, I made a list just for this purpose. You ready? I'll read off a few. All right. I mean, I'm not going to think it's very relevant, but sure, go for it. It is. Right. It is. NAACP, the Sentencing Project, Equal Justice Initiative, Thurgood Marshall, College Fund, uh, Rainbow Push Coalition, Blacks in Government, Black Girls Code, Black Lives Matter, uh, 100 Black Men of America. There's a gazillion. I mean, I, had, I, I wrote a list of so long, I couldn't get it all on so, the page. So, but, so, but here's so, the question so, so, for so, you. So, so hold, on, hold, on, hold on, Chris. Do you, think, yeah, uh, do, you think yeah. murder, do you think murder is a significant social problem? I don't think that that's analogous because murder is relatively, everybody condemns it. It's relatively limited, right? Uh, uh, it's not something that is considered ubiquitous in terms of uh, lots of people do it. It's a severe problem from like a very few people. 
Well, whereas racism or systemic racism would be uh, a broader problem from like, you know, this maybe not so significant in each incident, but is perceived to be a major problem given that there's a lot of people who maybe engage in it. Okay, because I would think of it as a significant social problem, and uh, or, 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 or how about crime in general? Is crime a significant right. social problem? Indeed. Okay, so crime is a significant social problem, even though you could read off an even longer list of organizations uh, that are that are dedicated to combating crime. Uh, neighborhood watch organizations, uh, guardian angels, uh, local police departments, state police departments, the FBI, the Department of Justice in general. So the fact that there are lots and lots of organizations designed to counter something, I, I guess I'm struggling to see the relevance of that to the claim that the thing they're designed to counter is a major social problem. Okay, so you, I mean, there's obviously motivation to commit crime. There's no motivation for black poverty. Well. I don't know what you mean by motivation for black poverty. If we're, if we're talking about what causes black poverty, then my claim is that the cause is the historical legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, Federal Housing Administration, redlining, all of that stuff, right? That that's the main cause. Uh, job discrimination, for example, certainly doesn't help. It's not as rare as you're saying. I think that the 36% higher callback uh, numbers for uh, for applicants with racially neutral names does go to that, regardless oh, hold of- on, Hold on, hold on, did you not- Regardless, let's, let's stick on that regardless of what you think the discrimination, uh, the character of that discrimination is, the fact remains that that is significant job discrimination having to do with whether somebody is black or white. Now, if you want to say, oh, it's job discrimination because they assume that the black person is more likely to be poor, that's fine, but that is still job discrimination that you're more likely to experience as a result of being African-American that, again, doesn't help. But like I said, job discrimination doesn't help. But I think, I, the, I, okay. I yeah. think the main cause of, uh, of racial economic disparities is the legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, et cetera. Now, I understand you think that it's uh, that it's black people being less likely than white people to want to wear ties or speak in a certain way at work. I would suggest that certainly anecdotally, lots and lots and lots of black people have told me that, uh, of course, they and everybody else they know speak you know speak differently at work because they know that they'll that they'll be treated differently if they do or they don't. Right, but. Regardless of which one of these explanations is right, I guess I'm not sure what you're saying about the motivation for crime, the motivation for racism. I think that the if I'm right about this, right, then that is not something that is primarily a matter of people thinking, oh, I hate black people, so I'm going to try to make sure that they don't succeed, right? That happens, yeah. but it's, a, it's primarily a systemic issue, right? So. I mean, obviously we're disagreeing on that, but I guess I'm not sure I even understand what you're saying about the motivation of crime. We're, What's we're the kind motivation? of getting all over the place here. Let's, I mean, I, I kind of like to try to stay narrow sure. and go one issue at a time. Uh, but I do think that, I, I, would, I, I hate to stick with this stupid name thing, um, but I, you're missing my point kind of, right? So if they had done a study in which they had names like, you know, you know Bentley Thurgood and, and you know, and, and like rich people names, rich white people names. And then you had another another pile of, you know, the Billy Bob Hicks names, like redneck names, right? And you found that there was the same problem, right? Which obviously this is hypothetical because nobody done that, that, that study because nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about the truth. They just care about, you know, this kind of divisive bull crap. But 
if they did that study and they found the same problem, then you couldn't say, well, it was well, dis- sorry, no. wealth disparity based on race. It's just wealth disparity. Okay. So I think that the uh, for, I'm not at all clear on why the existence of cultural discrimination against non-black groups is supposed to negate the existence of cultural discrimination against black people. Because I'm saying it's the, 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 the motivation isn't a discrimination against a race. It's discrimination against a class. And, and if you say that, 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 well, black people are just poor, that's ridiculous. You know, it's like it's like uh, Michelle Obama was, was said in a speech. Wait, 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 wait a second. Who said black people are just poor? I said black people are more likely to start out poor because uh, because of the legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, sure. redlining, okay. right. and these sure. things are these things are intergenerationally self-perpetuated. And by the way, what you just said, like let's just assume for the sake of argument, you're a hundred percent right about this, right? That they uh, have. Yeah. That the that that the job discrimination numbers can be entirely uh, explained by this two-step process. Uh, that okay, first there's the inference that this person is likely not to be poor now, because again the resume says what their previous jobs were, where they went to school, but that they grew up poor, and that they uh, and that there's discrimination on the basis of that. If that's true, that means that that is a mechanism by which poverty is going to be intergenerationally self-perpetuating. And and so, again, that gets us- Yeah, but that's true with every race. Sure, but the distinction between, uh, between, uh, uh, of course, that could be true for every race, but the distinction is that the distribution of poverty that you get at the beginning is going to be a result of slavery and Jim Crow and redlining and all of that, and then it's going to be intergenerationally self-perpetuating. And I thought that was something we disagreed on about whether that was what was going on there. Well, no, no, I, I, I agree that that is maybe an initiating factor. However, how many, how many specifically um, organizations and charities have been developed to help white people come out of poverty? How many of these organizations have been developed to help Asians come out of poverty? I mean, you had Asians in World War II being sent to internment camps. They're doing great today in America. I think they're wealthier than, you know, they have a better quality of life than white people. Uh, yeah, well, first, you, first you, you of all, lots of Asian say, have, have come over uh, since, uh, since the- So have Africans. So, so, so we're not, well, not in anything like the same rate. African-Americans- That's probably true. Vast, That's probably true. Vastly that. more likely that. to have, yeah. you know. Okay, so they have, but also- uh, you you can't just look at the period when people were were in internment camps, right? You also have to look uh, at what people's economic situation sure, uh, was 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 like before then, right? You know, and and very often uh, you have uh, even Asian Americans who are sent to internment camps. Now sometimes there are economic consequences of that because their property was confiscated as part the of property that. was confiscated, and, 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 they, and, they, and they couldn't get it back, right? But very often we are talking about people who started off in a better economic situation, certainly, than African-Americans overall were in in the 1940s. Uh, so that, that's, that seems pretty different to me. But look, are there lots of organizations designed to get white people out of poverty? Uh, specifically, maybe not. Are there lots and lots of racially neutral organizations uh, designed to get people out of poverty? Yeah, absolutely. Which again, makes me think that private action is whether we're talking about poor white people or poor black people, private action, whether it's in the course, whether it's a matter of charity in the sense of direct cash handouts, uh, or whether it's uh, it's a matter of college funds, or whether it's a matter 
of private organizations trying to match people up to jobs, any individual organization might be doing great work, but the scale of the problem is such that any form of private charity isn't going to get it done. See, now, I, I think that this is, I think, our key disagreement, the scale of the problem, right? So your presumption is that the racism in America is, has been so great historically that it has caused black people to be you know, oppressed in this way where they were unable to um, develop um, intergenerational wealth or whatever you want to call it. Like. But I, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that you had a, you had a, a significant, an immense effort coming the opposite way, right? For decades, we've had this for decades. So even in the times, like even in the 60s and 70s and 80s, when you might say, yeah, there was instances, uh, you know, and, and slowly, obviously, this, uh, I, I, I would expect that you would agree that since the 60s, we've had sort of diminishing levels of oppression against black people by white people in America. Yeah, I think, I think there has been progress, absolutely. Okay. But I also think that it would be wildly unrealistic to expect that if you have people at wildly different starting points, and even if we're very generous here uh, and pick the earliest date that we possibly could, which would be uh, 1964, the end of legal segregation. 1964, sure. You know, but even even if, even if we pick that like date, I think realistically, I think we'd have to pick a much later one. But even if we pick 1964, uh, if you're saying, okay, so we're gonna pretend that significant effects uh, of direct ongoing racial uh -huh. discrimination are over once you can't put the whites only sign in the window in 1964. I think even if we do assume that, which I think is pretty unrealistic, I think that if you're, I think it would be a very unrealistic assumption to think that you can start with the kind of distribution of poverty between white people and black people that you get in 1964 and that just kind of the natural effects of market processes plus private charity is going to just wipe that out within, you know, within the lifetime of tons of people who are actually alive in 1964. Well, it's certainly not going to with the crime rates that exist in the black community. It's certainly not going to exist with what the What do you think is the explanation of, of those crime rates? Well, we can get into that, but, but uh, I certainly don't think that it's going to be true when you have an entire culture that is um, racist against, you know, the, 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 the majority culture in a particular region. Uh, but let's not start in 1964. Let's go back a lot earlier than that. Let's start at, you know, the 15th century, or I guess it was the, yeah, the, the 15th century. This is when the uh, Portuguese first explored Africa, right? And they found that even though in Europe, slavery had been abolished for a significant amount of time, you had, the Africans did have an ethic of slavery there. They did have a, uh, you know, they did have their own framework of morality within which they functioned. And slavery was an acceptable practice in Africa at the time. The Portuguese traded with the Africans there for slaves uh, as a commodity, which of course we look at today as reprehensible, uh, but that was the ethical framework they had in Africa at the time, at least in the places of the uh, Portuguese were, you know, were exploring and dealing so just with a, exactly. just a Just a quick, uh, you said 14th century? What century did you say? I think it's 15th century, yeah. Oh, yeah, 15th century, right? So 1400s. Uh, yeah. Slavery wasn't abolished in Portugal until three centuries later than that. That was 1761. 
uh, by the right. uh, Marques right. de Pombal uh, that slavery was abolished in Portugal. Obviously, it wasn't abolished in this country until a lot later than that. And I believe even when it was abolished in Portugal, right, that applies to in Portugal, not the rest of the empire. I'm not talking about the abolishment of slavery. I'm talking about the the ethical framework of slavery existed, right? That 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 existed in Africa already, right? So a lot of the people in Africa had, had a certain quality of life. They had a certain technological level of advancement where they were, right? They, because if you want to talk about generational wealth, right? How much wealth do you think that you, the Europeans created by the time they dis, they discovered the Sub-Saharan Africans? Uh, I, I mean, it's, a um, it's a measure. I, sure, that they have a uh, that that's uh, and of course even more as a as a direct result of slavery. But just to just yeah, to correct the record enough. again about Portugal. Uh, so certainly, um, so I'm, I'm reading here: Muslim Moors who converted to Christianity uh, were enslaved during the Reconquista. Uh, so that's during the 15th century. Right, the, uh, that's right. Uh, the people who had been living in Portugal for a long time, uh, yeah. while during uh, during Muslim rule, uh, as we're getting the assert the, you know, as we're getting the return of local self-rule in Portugal, a lot of those people uh, are enslaved, and again, you you do seem to have direct slavery in Portugal up till 1761. From the from the. So, well, I mean, again, the Arabs are not in charge of Portugal with the Reconquista. The whole thing, the Reconquista, right, it's the reconquest. It's the kicking out of the Arabs from Africa. Sure. And during those that process, right, a lot of Muslim or formerly Muslim people in, in Portugal are enslaved. And the reason I'm bringing that up, and I don't want to be pedantic, it's just that you're saying that, oh, by the time Portuguese explorers are coming to Africa, you know, they've like moved past slavery in Portugal. And that just doesn't seem to be true. Uh, well, the Europeans, I don't know about Por the Portuguese, their uh, position on enslaving white Europeans, but it was my understanding that most white European countries had abolished slavery by then, for, for, for centuries. Well, again, I mean, like Portugal had been under Muslim rule for centuries, the Reconquista, when it returned sure, to exactly. Christian, when it returned to Christian rule, sure. as part of that, right, there was slavery before that too, but also as part of the Reconquista, uh, there are uh, Moors, even the ones who converted to Christianity, who are being enslaved. So if you're saying that Portuguese culture was such that maybe people with impeccably Christian ancestry couldn't be enslaved, that might be true. But it's right. certainly not true that they had some sort of general cultural moray against slavery when they came to Africa, by the time they came sure. to Africa. Yeah, I, I meant specifically between thing, uh, Just kind of bringing us back, and this is technically, it's a question that Ben asked that it's like, uh, it's not necessarily more directly related, but it is really interesting, it, Mr. Reagan, if you're up for it. Yeah. Uh, ben uh, asked, why do you think it is that there is this disproportionate crime rate that you had mentioned? Uh, well, it's a great question. Um, I, I, think that it, I think that it actually comes down to what I was saying before, very specifically. It comes down to this idea of black racism against white people. If you have a kid coming up in school, right? And he's a smart kid, and he can do well. And, you know, he lives in a bad neighborhood with uh, crime and with drug dealing and with, you know, gangs. And you say, look, kid, you're a smart kid, but 
but you shouldn't study. Studies will, studying is what white people do. Uh, you shouldn't go to college. You shouldn't try to get a job at a white company because these guys are racist. They're just going to hate you. They're going to be bigoted against you. You're putting up invisible barriers in front of people. And then when they're given the option, do you want to like sling drugs or work for this drug organization, you know, drug dealing, you know, whatever crime organization? Do you want to join this gang, whatever, or do you want to go study at school? Right? If they're, com if they're constantly uh, told that white people are racist and you shouldn't trust them, it's often likely that they're going to stick with the people that they know in their own region. And they're going to do what is available to them there. Well, so, so one problem, I think, with saying that the explanation uh, of disparities in the crime rate uh, racially is, is cultural attitudes mm -hmm. is that you get a general um, that you get a general correlation between poverty and crime rates for white people and black people, right? That like it seems to be generally true that uh, that the, the more that uh, that starting out in poverty means that you're more likely to be either a perpetrator or a victim uh, of at least certainly some kinds uh, of street crime. And it, and again, I would think that the simplest explanation, the most obvious explanation uh, for why that would be the case is that if you're not starting out in poverty, you have much less of an incentive to do things like join gangs, right? You don't, you know, you don't have the same financial incentive. You have, you have less to gain, you have more to lose. Well, that's, that's not really true in this case because you have a lot of black scholarships. You have a lot of options for any black person to go into a college, right? We have affirmative action programs still. We have, you know, selective admittance to various universities. Uh, they do very heavily weight uh, black people over every other group. So, you know, they, you have every opportunity to succeed if you are given that knowledge, if you are told, if you are encouraged, if you are told you can do I mean, you tell me what you think. You tell me, do you think that black people in America don't have a significant problem with the culture of being racist against white people? I, I think that explaining, trying to explain racial disparities... But do you think that exists? Of, do you think that exists? Do, 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 I, do I think that resentment of white people by black yes. people exists? I think it would be shocking and bizarre, given the history, uh, if it didn't Oh, really? It's shocking and bizarre? Utterly without historical precedent. Hold on one sec, just to hear. I think he's actually agreeing with you. In any nation of the world... Uh, if you had that level of oppression for that many centuries, and you didn't have any level uh, of of group directed resentment as as a result of it, but I don't think that it's plausible that that is anywhere in the top fifty factors explaining economic disparity. Okay. Given, okay. given that a much simpler explanation. <laughs> As you conceded earlier, poverty tends to be self-perpetuating uh, for uh, for people from any background. And given that, as you also conceded, uh, in the 1960s, we finally ended de jure legal, official, explicit uh, segregation, uh, that black people in the United States were starting at a very, very different economic level than white people. Well, I'd also like to present uh, another uh, idea, which is that... Uh, I think that we are currently biased toward black people and against white people in hiring practices generally across the country. But let's but let me let, let me say something else first. We're not generally because, biased towards black people 
in deciding uh, who to call back when you get their resume. That much we know statistically. Oh, man. You, you, you... <laughs> All right. So I, you said two amazing things, but let, let, me get, let me go back to the first. Sorry? Sorry. sorry so what are the two amazing things? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you said you basically excused this idea of, uh, of, of racism uh, from black people to white people. You said that this is, it would be shocking if they didn't, they weren't racist. Uh, because well, what of, said, because what of that. What I said is, is it would be shocking if there wasn't anti-white resentment given right. given history. Now that's that's a claim about cause and effect. That's not a claim about whether anybody should feel that resentment. Right. I'm just saying that if uh, that given that right. people are right. officially, legally, explicitly, sure. unambiguously treated in this way for centuries, I think that if you didn't have a certain amount of resentment, a certain amount of blaming white people in general uh, for, um, you know, for, for what's been done for so long by white power structures, that would be amazing. And again, just, just, just totally without precedent, like if nobody emerged after World War II, nobody in the Jewish community had any sort of bias against Germans coming out of that, that would be really, really surprising. That doesn't mean that it's correct and you should have a general bias against Germans. It just means that given the history, I'd say it would be fairly bizarre if that's not the case. But again, I, 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 hate, that you use the, I hate that you use the Holocaust analogy. I think it's utterly it's a terrible analogy, first of it's, all. It's not but, an but analogy me, in terms of how bad they are. The point is just yeah, general. Yeah, but that's, that's, implied. It, it's, it's an ex, that's it's implied. It's an example. It's an example of how. But you've got to admit it's, it, it. It mischaracterizes it in the ears of many listeners, Let, and it's totally inappropriate. I, I promise. Well, how about we do this? What I'll do is I want to just hear that last point from Ben, and then I promise we're gonna. Finish okay, with Mr. Yeah. We'll finish with Mr. Reagan, not for a closing statement, but just because, uh, just in terms of a, like a reply rebuttal sure, back. Sure. And, and then, sorry, we'll finish. Like, are we about to go into the questions or what's the? Correct. Um, we'll go into Q and A okay. shortly. Sure. Okay. Just getting clear on what's going on. Uh, yeah. Look, uh, I think the uh, the point is just generally right that once you have severe oppression directed at a group of people, an inevitable consequence is that you're going to get some people in that group who draw uh, general conclusions about everybody in the group that was on uh, the uh, the other end of, of that equation. That's not an endorsement of it. It's not that it should be the case, but it's an that, excuse. Is just, that, that, that is, well, it's not. I mean, it's literally not. Those are just two different things. There's a claim about causation and there's a claim about justification. Uh, but also... I think the more important question, the question we don't want to get lost, is given that you yourself said that poverty for any group tends to be intergenerationally self-perpetuating, is it plausible to think that anti-white resentment uh, is a more significant part of the explanation of racial disparities than the fact that when we finally, within the lifetime of tons of people who are alive right now, we finally ended official, explicit legal apartheid in the United States, uh, people are starting at a very different economic starting point. All right. Let me just say that your whole premise that it is acceptable or, or, or somehow expected, sorry, not acceptable, expected that people will have a resentment against a group that oppresses them utterly mischaracterizes the history here. Right? Because it dismisses completely 
the positive side, which was what I was trying to bring up earlier, right? How many, how many white men died in the Civil War trying to help free the slaves? I think something like 200 some thousand uh, men died. How many were paralyzed? How many lost limbs? Okay, how many sacrificed quality of life? Uh, they paid for that sin of others, by the way, uh, in blood, right? Uh, you know, how many people fought for the rights of the, the oppressed, uh, the, you know, people who were being restricted from voting? Um, you know, Republicans fought for that for ages. You know, they finally got uh, a little bit of Marxist intervention in the universities there. And then in the 1960s, the Democrats lost their minds uh, and all become, you know, uh, I mean, we can get into that, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But the point is that we finally had enough of a coalition of people saying, all right, let's, let's kind of fix this. But it was all it was, it was all a coalition of white people making the, those decisions, right? Because we say, all right, well, they had the power in that case, uh, and they finally, you know, made things work out correctly uh, in this particular instance. And a lot of this fighting, a lot of this sacrifice, a lot of these great things that are being done are overlooked, are dismissed completely. There is a zero gratitude, right? You need to, if you're going to resent people for things they didn't do. Maybe have some gratitude for things they didn't do as well. I didn't have a slave. I didn't fight in the civil rights movement, but I didn't have a slave either. I wasn't an abolitionist, but I didn't stop people from voting, right? So, like, you know, people today are, are you know, we sort of classify all of this, uh, all of this suffering as a product of racism, but really there is always a balance, right? There was oppression, but there were also people fighting to, to help. Right, and so you're saying it's okay to resent people, not it's okay, it's expected that somebody will resent people, right? It's expected somebody will resent people, but only if they dismiss all of the good that the, you know, the other half of those people did. It's like you have a house where some guy is a real jerk, but the other person's like awesome, and every day you just like throw eggs at the house. Well, you're hurting the awesome person as well as the jerk. Okay, I don't know if I'm supposed to respond at this point, but I guess maybe just like a Please sentence do. or two. I would say I would say that the uh, uh, that the number of people, the number of non-Jewish Germans who were killed oh by Hitler, the bullets of that Yes, I know you want to just ban mentioning any relevant history that's outside. It's so stupid. One second. One second. The point of the analogy is very simple: that if you're going to say that, oh, it's absurd, uh, it should not be expected that you're going to get a certain amount of anti-white uh, resentment among black people, even after the end of legal apartheid, uh, because there were because there were because there were white people who opposed apartheid in the United States. Then you should also say that it's totally absurd that any Jewish person had anti-German resentment. No, it isn't because the Germans didn't free the Jews from the concentration camps. I promise, we'll. Fought against Hitler's regime, killed for fighting against Hitler's regime. The point is that's always true in every historical situation. There's always an opposition, but the fact that there's always an opposition doesn't mean that you're not going to get these general trends where people on the receiving end of that, that, that oppression, a certain number of them, are going to generalize the resentment. The question that we should be talking about is whether that resentment is actually a more plausible explanation of racial disparities than the fact that 
we started out with in living memory with all of these legal institutions designed to perpetuate them. And of course, as you said earlier, poverty tends to perpetuate itself intergenerationally for every group. We'll okay, give, well, let's talk, we'll give let's a talk short, about really short and pithy rebuttal from you, Chris, and then we for sure have to go to a short Q&A as well. All right. Well, okay. First of all, the Germans didn't free the Nazis in, like, in, you know, you know inter-German struggle, first of all. Secondly, you have people like Steven Spielberg, right, producing, you know, a film like Schindler's List about a good German. All right, so there is gratitude there. There is gratitude there. And there is not, there is, look, 100%, there is no real way for us to measure how much uh, resentment and racism of black people hurt them. There's no way to measure that. I wish we could measure it. I would love to be able to measure it. And there's also no way really to measure uh, how much any kind of oppression at any given time in any region of the country uh, hurts black families. They both, they both hurt black families. But one hurt them historically, and they're sort of facing the sort of remnants of that oppression now, which I think is to some degree balanced by the uh, you know benef white benefactors that have been sending millions and millions and millions of dollars to black families for you know decades. And there is nothing that can be done currently about black racism against white people. Yeah, well, I'm keeping it short. Uh, black racism against white people. There's nothing we can do except try to encourage black people in schools, like black kids, not to hate white people, right? That will actually help massively bring them out of poverty, right? Don't hate white people. It's very, very simple. It, it can be done, but you got CNN, you got the academies, you got Marxists trying to create division in the country, you know, for a variety of reasons, often political, and it is utterly destructive to black Americans. I know, Ben, that you have another round in the chamber ready to fire, and I'm sorry to, <laughs> sorry to cut it short, but uh, one thing I want to mention, folks, is that there's a possibility we might have these guys on in the future. So uh, that is a time where we might be able to give Ben a chance to respond to that last point and also perhaps new stuff. So I, I do want to say, first, they're linked in the description, folks. So if you've enjoyed this, want to let you know you can hear plenty more by clicking on their links below and learning more about them. And want to say also thanks for your question, folks. These are going to be, we're going to do this pretty quick because we want to get these guys, we want to respect their time as we really appreciate them being here. So we're going to jump into it. Want to say thanks for your question. This one comes in from our first one. Gabriel K says, so... Allegedly, meta-analysis, he argues, is more prone to, and this, I think, goes back to the meta-analyses that you mentioned, Ben. They argue that mm -hmm. meta-analyses are more prone to bias from the researcher by cherry-picking. I don't know if there's any empirical data for that. Do you know if there's any paper that they're maybe referring to? I mean, I think I'm, I am not familiar with that, um, but I would just real briefly say that, the, that, um, that if you're worried about researcher bias... I think, you know, looking at a bunch of data from a bunch of different studies the way that a meta-analysis can is going to be, I'm sure, imperfect, right? But I think that that's going to be your best bet for evening that stuff out. Gotcha. And Rodney, let's see. Rodney Falberg, thanks for your question. This one also for you, Ben. They said, they name a number of people. They say Daniel Shaver being a European-American, Renee Davis being indigenous, and Patel being an Indian person. They say... 
These tragedies show police brutality is not a skin color issue, but a working class issue. So I think the idea there is they're saying that is really about class again, rather than race. Well, I think that that's half true. I think that, um, so, so the reason it's only half true is that again, as with, uh, the racial disparities in traffic stops going down, you know, decreasing, right. Narrowing after sundown example, uh, there, there does seem to be some pretty strong evidence for ongoing racial bias being a factor in uh, differential treatment uh, by police. And we could tell different similar stories about all kinds of different aspects of the criminal justice system. But uh, I do agree to a great extent, right? This is why at the beginning I said, here are three things that, that you could mean. They're all problems. Uh, and And this would be the third category, right, in that, which is to say that you have, because of historical oppression, wildly, unevenly distributed poverty, and that poverty is self-perpetuating. And I do agree that police brutality is a problem for poor and working class people of all races, because, uh, you know, in the last few decades, especially starting uh, with the presidency of my opponent's namesake, uh, we had, uh, you know, we, there was there was a political calculation in effect that... Uh, expanding the welfare state, you know, that started up with the, you know, with the Great Society, uh, you know, actually waging war against poverty in any meaningful way, uh, was it was going to be both financially and politically a lot less expensive than that to handle the social ills that come out of poverty through a more aggressive, more militarized regime of policing and incarceration. And that is a problem for poor and working class people of all races. It's just that because poverty is unequally distributed because of historical racial oppression, it's more of a problem for black people than white people because black people are more likely to start out poor. And what we've been arguing about for the last hour or whatever it's been uh, is what the explanation is for why black people are more likely to start out poor. Thank you. And we have Can I just say real quick that... Uh, if it's a really, really short and pithy... It's real quick. I just want to point out that if black cops are stopping these, you know, black citizens as often as the white cops, it's not, a, you know, it, it is racial bias, but it's not racism. Right. It's just a perception that these these particular individuals may be causing the crime in the area, which is not racist if it's true. Even when you control for graph for crime rates, there's still an imbalance. And for the sake of time, I'll leave it there. OK, I disagree. Question for, you know, Mr. Reagan, this is from religion. Oh, right. They say their name is religion is BS. And they say if a cop shoots an unarmed black man, let's call him Jacob Blake. So I think they're referring to the news that Ben mentioned earlier. Do you seriously think that it's not racism? And if not, what is it? Uh, well, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's it's racism. It's I mean, it could be a gazillion things. I, mean, I don't know. You mean in a specific case recently where the guy was shot in the back? Well, because didn't that it looked to me like the police was concerned the guy was going for a gun, right? So the police was afraid for his life. I mean, I don't think that race came into it. I think it was. If, you, if, you're, if you're afraid for your life and you're a police officer, you're probably going to shoot the guy. Question from Sunflower for Ben. They said, what would need to happen for the significant part of racism being a significant problem to no longer be significant? Is racism doomed to be significant forever? Yeah, uh, I, I, would, I would just say, by the way, that, uh, that police, uh, police officers feeling afraid for their life doesn't necessarily say that racial bias isn't an impact because one of the effects of racial bias, especially in cases with seconds to spare, 
you know, is uh, is that you might uh, feel more afraid uh, under parallel circumstances. But in any case, uh, what would it take for it not to be significant? Well, I think that I think that one real indication of it not being significant would be that uh, the disparities that I mentioned at the top uh, were, um, you know, were reduced to the point where, like, um, where, you know, there, there there wasn't any statistically significant disparity, right? In other words, that maybe instead of uh, people with racially neutral or white-sounding names being thirty-six uh, percent more likely to be called back uh, from uh, from resumes. Uh, if it was like one percent, right? You know, then then I'm not claiming that we have, you know, that there's a specific cutoff. Obviously, it's going to be vague. I think the nature of the beast. I'm not going to be able to give you a number. I don't think I don't think that anybody can or would claim to. Uh, but I would say that uh, I would say that one percent would probably not be significant. Thirty six percent is pretty significant, and the same would go for police stops. The same would go for death penalty cases. Uh, where uh, where where a black person killing a white person is the combination most likely to get the death penalty, uh, and across the board, and most significantly, I think not having these massive economic disparities uh, would in turn help with the rest in terms of bringing down racial bias from something that has huge statistically capturable effects to something that's a much more modest problem because every time. You have one group of the population, uh, you know, that's that's racially or ethnically or linguistically differentiated from the main group and are more likely to live in poverty. People are always going to find some story they can tell themselves about how they deserve it, right? You know that that they're that they're bad people or they have a bad culture or they're genetically inferior, like the Charles Murray stuff. Whatever the story might be, right? You are always going to get stigmatization of poor underclasses. So I think that. If you want to bring racial bias down to a more manageable level, the first step has to be tackling those massive economic disparities. Gotcha. Thanks so much. And Gabriel K., thanks for your question. This is another one for Ben. Let's see. They said Jewish people had a lot, Ben. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a lot of critics. Let's see. Well, actually, a lot of these are all from Gabriel K. He says Jewish, <laughs> he says, Jewish people. He says, Jewish people had it the worst, much more recent, but they do well without grants. Please don't say because they look, quote unquote, white. Okay, well, I, I think that uh, I think that uh, that's that thinking that um, that racial bias doesn't play a role there. Uh, I appreciate that she said, please. So I, I'm going to say no, thank you. I am still going <laughs> to say uh, that, uh, that the operations of racial bias are one relevant factor there. Also. Uh, it's simply not true, certainly in the United States. Have you been on uh, the that, white supremacist website? They hate the Jews. They don't even care yes. about the blacks. They hate the Jews. Uh, yeah, well, maybe we've seen different white supremacist websites. Uh, <laughs> I went on specifically to look that up. <laughs> all, all, the, all the ones I've seen uh, seem to have a pretty big problem with uh, with black people also. Okay, sure. Uh, Any white uh, supremacists out there, comment. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, you know... <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to take a cheap shot about uh, about how much time we spent uh, perusing them, but I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be very unfair. Uh, look, uh, it's not at all true, right? That people like my Jewish grandmother, for example, uh, had it worse uh, in the 1940s in the United States when she was a young woman than in the 1940s in the United States. In fact, that's dramatically untrue, right? That the economic levels of uh, 
in the 1940s or the 1950s or the 1960s, 1960s being the most relevant because again, that's the end of official, explicit legal, you know, legal discrimination. Uh, that the starting point of Jewish people and black people in the United States at this time was not, in fact, the same. In fact, even the starting point of Jewish people in Germany before the Holocaust uh, was not all the same as the economic starting point uh, of black people in the United States uh, in uh, in the 1960s. You, you know, mean post-Holocaust? Uh, no, I mean pre-Holocaust. That they have a uh, that like in other words, when Hitler let's 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 do when Hitler comes to power, right? Obviously. Between Hitler coming to power in 33, uh, the final solution kicking off in 41, in between you have uh, Jewish people you know, stripped of the financial resources they have, herded into ghettos, etc. But before 1933, the economic position of Jewish people, even in Germany, is not anything like as bad overall as the economic position of black people in the United States during the same era. Uh, the point of that is not to minimize the massive suffering caused by anti-Semitism, including among you know people I'm, I'm, that I'm related to or descended from. The uh, the point of uh, the point of bringing that up is just that if you're going to make this comparison and you're going to say, hey, it can't be that the starting point was worse. That's not the explanation because of what Jewish people have gone through. I would say that the simple fact is that no matter what free 1960. Now, whether we're talking about 1964 or 1954, 1934, the economic starting point of Jewish people and Black people at that time was not actually at all the same. And in fact, the specific way in which Jewish people were historically oppressed, uh, you know, certainly in the Middle Ages, uh, specifically led to Jewish people being more likely uh, to be in a position uh, to uh, to benefit. Uh, from from certain kinds of economic changes, you know, with the rise of capitalism, financial institutions, et cetera, right? So the point is just the TLDR of this is just that these are not even apples and oranges. This is like apples and in intergalactic spaceships. I, know, I agree with so that. Sorry. Yeah. I know you got a response, Chris, but just to keep thank you for. No, no, no. Uh, I just want to say that's fair. Gotcha. Thanks. Thank you for that. And uh, Gabriel K, wouldn't you know it? <laughs> Do you have any non-Gabriel K questions? Is it Gabriel, Gabriel or Gabrielle? Are we talking about a man or a woman? That's true. It, well, it, the the avatar looks like a man, uh, but I... Okay. I can't see it. I can't see it. Sure, the, sure. Uh, Let's do another Gabriel K question. That's fine. Let's this is the last it. one, and it's, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm like Ben. Maybe you've heard this before. They said, uh, but this is. Oh, let's see. They say Romans enslaved all colors. I feel oppressed still. Uh, in terms of like the time, <laughs> kind of the time cut off in terms of past oppression. Where would the kind of mark be? Yeah. So, so here's the here's the question. Does the fact uh, that that Roman slavery, which was, by the way, as I understand it, uh, a pretty different institution in a lot of relevant ways from the kind of slavery that existed in the plantation system in the American South, uh, for example, uh, you know, like there's no equivalent of being able to save up to buy your freedom uh, in uh, in the American plantation system, but also. The question is, is it as plausible to think that ongoing wealth differences in the, United, in the United States today can be realistically traced back uh, to uh, the Roman Empire, which, depending on what your cutoff point for that, when that ended, right, you know, is, um, 
I think, you know, I think, you know, certainly in terms of the fall of the Western Empire is what the fourth century, fifth century, something like that. Uh, do you think that's as plausible as thinking that the end of legal segregation within the lifetimes of lots of people who are alive right now, uh, that like the economic effects of one of those things is likely to be a lot greater than the economic effects of the other, because that's certainly what I think. Gotcha. And we do have to forgive me, folks, for not getting all the questions in, but I do want to respect the time of our guests. We really appreciate having them here. They they just do it because they love it. So we really appreciate them. They're linked in the description. And so this has been honestly I'm not joking when I say I think this has been one of the highest quality debates we've ever had out of <laughs> about 450. Um, so we've had a lot, but this one will it's just phenomenal. Thank you guys so much. And thank you, Ben. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you too, Chris. With that, folks, we hope to see you next time. We hope you keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. Thanks so much and take care, everybody.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.